If you guys have your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn to Luke chapter 14? Uh, we finally are starting something new. It usually takes me forever to get through a series, and so anytime we get to do something new, I'm always excited about that. and anticipate I'll get it done in two weeks, and then three months later, we move on to something else. But Easter is coming, so it means that we're doing a standalone message this week. And uh, as you're turning there, one of my favorite things in the whole world is dinner. Like, I like breakfast. I don't like waking up for breakfast. You know, if you're going to have a nice breakfast, it means you have to wake up even earlier and put more effort into it. So I'm typically a get out the cereal, call it good, and get to work kind of guy. Lunch is good too, but there's something about dinner because at dinner time, that's when the family gathers around the table. Uh, that's when you have people over. I love having people over, hosting them, making meals for them. It's something that really makes me feel alive and brings me a lot of joy. And it was something we used to do all the time because when we moved here uh, just a little over four years ago, it was just uh, my wife and I and Eason, who was three weeks old, so he didn't contribute a lot to this at that point. And uh, like Jared, the drummer, and Ben, um, and Beth, and Chris, and Beth, and a couple other people. It was just a small group of us that had moved here. We didn't know anybody. We didn't have jobs. Uh, you know, we really didn't have anything going on at that point, so we got together and had dinner a lot. And we kind of called her a family dinner because we were on our own, didn't have any family around us. So we became a little family. And I'd always have them over. And the first time they all came over, it was, hey, guys, I'm going to prepare everything for you. You are my honored guest. You guys moved here with me. Like, maybe I'll make you a meal, and now we're even. Uh, or it's all good after <laughs> this point. And I prepared something. And it's at this point, when you're having honored guests over, you don't pull out the paper plates. I got the china out, the stuff that we got for our wedding that we never used, but we were so convinced we needed it. You know, we broke that out, and we made the meal, you know, spent 12 hours on the prep for everything, the desserts, all the courses for it, even folded the napkins so they looked just nice because I wanted them to feel honored in my house. And they're like, hey, can we bring something? I'm like, absolutely not. You can't bring anything. I'm putting this on for you. And then afterwards, like, hey, can we help with the dishes? I'm like, no, you can't help with the dishes. You're my guest in my home. I'm going to take care of all of this for you. Well, after doing that a few times, they all revolted and decided that they needed to be a part of the meal. And so we started divvying up. Okay, I'll prepare the meat. And, you know, I think Beth usually brought some kind of a vegetable thing because she doesn't like meat a whole lot. And so we should always bring that. And I forgot Ben had bring drinks or something because he was a young guy. <laughs> and so he brought pop and uh and uh who was oh jared jared and beth they always brought garlic bread that was just the thing i don't know how it happened it's become a running joke amongst us whenever we get together hey you guys bring the garlic bread and so that's what they always did I, it's just their thing can we bring something more i'm like no you get the garlic bread down good and then we'll <laughs> we'll up the responsibilities for you but they never failed and so what happened is we come together now and it's not just that they're my honored guest anymore, which they are, but it's become like family now. And they're all playing a role in the preparation of this meal. And they're all helping with cleanup. And if some person, if Jared and Beth had forgotten the garlic bread, what would have happened? But the meal would have been ruined. Our little community that we had been developing would have been destroyed without the garlic bread. And so it's important that we recognize as we're creating something, as we're creating a family, as we're creating a community together, every single one of us has a role that we play inside of that. Every person has a part that they play. And it's important that you know what your role is. Because if you don't know what your role and your responsibility is, everybody's going to bring the napkins and there's going to be nothing to eat. 
If that happens in something as simple as getting together to have dinner with your friends or your family, how much more important is that in the kingdom of God? Because one of the things that Jesus talks about a lot is there's a banquet table. He talks about this table that we're all invited to, that God's prepared for us. And he talks about there are different roles that every single one of us have in preparing this banquet for people to come to. And if we don't understand what it is that God's called us to, what the role is, the responsibility that we have as a part of the kingdom of God, then there are going to be people who suffer. It won't just be garlic bread isn't provided for people anymore, but life change won't happen. Joy, peace, salvation, transformation, those things won't be occurring in people if we aren't all playing the role that God has called us to inside of the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes on to teach about this to really help hammer that point home to all of his disciples. And he says in Luke chapter 14, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go to it and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. These excuses are terrible for the reasons why they can't come. And think about it, this is a great banquet that's being prepared. If I prepare a dinner for you and you cancel out on me, it's kind of like, eh, you know, it's a bummer, but it's not that big a deal. When it's your wedding banquet and you spend 120 bucks a plate for these people that RSVP'd and then they don't show, that's a bigger deal, isn't it? That's a big deal. I say that because I go to a lot of weddings and, and I get to experience that. But these, these excuses they're making are just crazy. Like the first guy, he's saying, you know, I bought this field and I have to go to inspect it. Who buys a field without inspecting it? This guy already knows. You don't buy stuff like that sight unseen. He knows the field. It's why he wanted it. It's why he bought it. But he's just coming up with some excuse. There's a great banquet prepared for him. He's coming up with some trivial reason to get out of going to it. And then the next person, I bought some oxen. I've never bought an ox probably never will buy one, but if I ever found myself in this situation where I needed to buy an ox, I'm going to inspect it first. I'm not going to say, hey, let's go take a look afterwards, check for deformities or whatever. I'm going to kick the tire on the oxen and make sure that they're strong and I'm not buying lemons. And the f- my favorite one, and this is, the w- <laughs> it just cracks me up. It says, hey, I can't come. I married a wife. <laughs> you married a wife. That might be a good excuse because whose wife did you marry? They might be at this banquet. I can see why you don't want to come and run into this person. You're excused. But they're all just coming up with reasons of why they're getting out of going to this great banquet that's been prepared for them. And now, if I was the master and I'd prepared this banquet for you and you're canceling out on me because you bought an ox, I'm going to be angry. It's a good thing I'm not God because I would summon the the fires and the powers of lightning and fry people because I'm a high mercy person. (laughs) But... But this is the response in this. It says, So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. 
That's the response. And when we look at a story like this, it's really important that we figure out who we are in this story. Because when Jesus is telling parables, there are different people that are filling different roles inside of it. And if you don't know who the players are inside of the story, you're not going to know who you are. So in this, the who's who of this story, of the banquet, is number one, you're the servant. A lot of people look at this and they think, I'm the honored guest. But that's not who we are in this story. We're the servant. You ever go to a friend's house for the first time, and when you go there, you know, they put on the writs for you. They don't let you lift a finger to be a part of it. You're the honored guest. They've prepared this place for you. They don't want you to do anything but just enjoy it. Well, what happens after you keep coming around their house for a while? <laughs> I remember my friend Barry and going over to his house because he moved up from Memphis, Tennessee, and he was in my Sunday school class. We became friends in sixth grade. And going over there, and it was all the southern charm that you could imagine coming from his mom and the hospitality, which I love. And I just kept coming over, though. And after, you know, so many Saturdays hanging out there, pretty soon they're like, hey, can you help with the dishes? <laughs> I remember that. It went from you can't do anything at all to, hey, grab a towel and an apron. Let's get to work. What had happened there? I went from being an honored guest to being family. I was more than an honored guest. I was someone that had come in that had been accepted into that family. And when you're accepted into the family, you go from just being an honored guest status who they can kick out and, you know, they leave and they can say, oh my goodness, can you believe that guy? To saying, you're a part of our clan now. You're a part of this household. And as a part of this household, now you get to take on the responsibilities of the house. You get to be a part of the mission and the vision of this house. Now you get to be someone who welcomes honored guests in with us into our house. See, so many times we, under, we misunderstand what our role is in the kingdom of God because we keep having the honored guest mentality. And it's true. When we came to Jesus, we were, he set out the table before us. We didn't have to lift a finger. He accepted us, loved us it, just the way that we were. We didn't do anything to deserve his love and his affection for us. He just prepared the table for us. But then we made a decision to follow him. We said, Jesus, I don't just want to be a guest at the table anymore. I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter in the house. And he said, oh, that's awesome. Get your apron, get your towel, let's get to work. Because now you're a part of the vision of this house. You're a part of preparing the table so that others can come in and they can taste and see my goodness. So that we can make a place so that others will come and they will get to see everything that I have to offer them so that they will want to be a part of the family too. We're not the honored guest anymore. We're something even better. We're family. And as family, we get to join in with the work of the family. The second thing is, God is the host. He's the great man in the story. He's the one that's preparing this great feast. He's the one. It wasn't the servants who said, hey, let's have a feast. That was the, the host responsibility. That was God. He said, what I want to do is I want to pour out my blessings on all the earth. I want to make a way for everybody to be able to come to my table. I'm going to lay that out. I'm going to prepare the meal. I'm going to lay out the spread. And you guys are going to be the ones that go out and extend the invitations to bring people into my house. And so then the third thing is that the, the poor are the honored guest. 
A lot of times when we look at the word poor, it's easy to always just associate that with an economic thing. We think it's just someone that doesn't have money, and that can be a part of what being poor is. But being poor, like Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You can be filthy, stinking, rich monetarily and one of the poorest people on the face of the earth in your soul. What God is saying is that we're supposed to go out and we're not looking for the elites. We're not looking for the people who deserve a spot at this table because the only person who deserves a spot at that table is Jesus. He's the only one who deserves to be at that table. But what he says is I want you to go out and I want you to invite the poor. I want you to invite the crippled. I want you to invite the lame. I want you to bring the sick into this house because I've prepared a place now for them. They are the honored guests that I'm seeking. We know a lot of people who are blind. A lot of people who, they're doing the best that they can to live their life as best they can, but they're just blinded to the fact that they need Jesus. They're blinded to how great God's love is for them. They're blinded to how incredible it is to be a son, to be a daughter. They might not even recognize. How many people do you know that they want a relationship with God so bad and they're doing everything that they can in their own power to try to be close to God, but they're never able to do that because it's something that they can't do on their own. And so they begin to think you just can't know God in an intimate way. You can't have a relationship with God. They become agnostics and they think that there is a God, but he's just separate and he's far removed from us and I'm just not good enough to make it so I can have a relationship with him. They're blind. And those are the people that God's called us to bring into his house as the honored guest. How many people do you know who are spiritually crippled? Something's happened to them. Maybe they were even at a church once, but someone said something, did something, there was an offense or a hurt that came about, and they became spiritually crippled. And they weren't able to live out that life that God had called them to because of the offense, because of the hurt, the doubt, whatever it might have been. These are people that we would look at and say, hey, you had your shot. Like you, God reached out to you, but you let this happen, or someone did something to you, but you're crippled now. And at this time, these were all, you would never invite these people to the table because it was really big on purity to come to the table. You had to wash, be cleansed, you couldn't be sick, all these sorts of things. And God's saying, now these people that we've looked down on, these people that don't meet up to the standard of righteousness and holiness that we think someone should match up to to be at God's table, these are the honored guests that I'm calling. These are the honored guests that I've sent you out to. And we all know people like this. But we have to reframe the way that we think. We can't view them as poor, as crippled, as lame. We have to view them as honored guests people who the banquet was prepared for. People that God wants to fill his house with. So those are different roles in this. We're the servants. God is the host. And the poor are the honored guest. And now these are the responsibilities that we have at the banquet table. Is God's the one that prepares that meal. 
when God looked at humanity and its fallenness and his brokenness, he had a plan. Even before we ever fell, God knew what was going to happen. And he said, I'm going to make a way for salvation. I'm going to send my son Jesus to go to the earth, to take on human form, to humble himself, to serve those who had rejected him. And he's going to go to the cross because he's going to bear all the sin of the world that separated us from God. All the rebellion, all of the, the crime, the sin, everything else that had ever happened, my son Jesus is going to bear that upon himself so that he can pay the penalty for that sin in his death on the cross, making a way for our sin to be removed from us so that no longer are we lame, blind, crippled people who are far from God, living as enemies of God. But I'm going to make them the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to make it so that all they have to do is say, God, forgive me. I make you the Lord of my life. I follow you from this day forward. He made it so that's all that we had to do. He prepared a table for us where we can feast on his grace, where we can fill ourselves with his love and his affection, his forgiveness, the salvation that he alone can bring, the freedom, the healing. All of these things are on the table. It's what God has prepared for us, and it's something that we could never prepare for ourselves. It's something that only God could do. And this is the responsibility that we have. We the servants, we invite the honored guest. So many times what happens is we think, you know, I, I can't change someone's life. In evangelism, that's one of the big hang-ups is we think, I don't, this person, what they're dealing with, I, I don't know how to fix that. They are so messed up, they're so far from God, or I'm so unqualified in being able to help them get out of the situation that they're in that I just can't even do this. You know what? That's, that's right. We can't do this. We don't prepare the feast. We don't change people's lives. We just take them to the one who does change their life. And there is no bondage, there's no sin issue, there's no lameness or crippleness that someone's living with spiritually that Jesus doesn't have the power to overcome. We serve the God who's overcome the power of sin and the power of death itself. He raised from the grave. He can overcome whatever it is that your friend, your family member, the person that you met on the street is struggling with. Every single one of them. You don't know how to have to know how to fix the problem because you don't know how to fix the problem. But we know how to bring them into the table. We know how to go out there and extend the invitation and say, come on in. Because there's a spot for you at the master's table. He has prepared a banquet for you. He has called you his honored guest. He's made a way for you. Would you just come on in? That's the role that we play in this. We're the servants. We were honored guests at one point. We tasted and we saw God's goodness. We had no responsibility but to just feast on God's goodness and his love. And then he called us a son. He called us a daughter. And then he said, now you get to join in in what we're doing. You get to join in the redemptive work of God on the face of this earth. Go out there. Call them in. And there's two different types of people that he says that we're supposed to call in. The first group of people that the servants are sent to are those on the city streets. What that means, those are the people that are close to you. Those are the people that are in your family. Those are the people that are your friends. The people that you go to work with every single day. The people that you know from your soccer club or whatever it is that you do. These are the people in the streets. It's the city. It's the people that are close to you. And God sends you out and he tells you, go to the people in the city. Go to the people in your circle of influence and call them into the banquet that I've prepared for them. 
And then the second group of people that he tells us to go to are the people that are on the highways, the people out in the country, the people behind the hedges. And these are the people that aren't close to you. They're the ones that you don't know very well. It might be, you know, someone that you just met on the street, but God had a divine appointment that was set up. Your responsibility isn't to make sure that they say yes or that they say no. He just says when you meet someone, whether it be someone in the city streets that's close to you in your life already, or whether it's someone that you don't know, that you've never met before and you might never see again, you still extend the same invitation to them because the feast has been prepared. There's a spot for them as my guest at my table. Let me say, well, you know, God, I'm not sure this person's going to want to come. He doesn't say that's your responsibility. He doesn't say go out there and strategically invite the people the highest percentage of coming. He doesn't say go out there and invite the people that look like you, talk like you, smell like you, think like you, vote like you. He says, I want you to go out there to all people, the people you hang out with and the people that you just meet by chance because every single one of them is an honored, valued, loved guest at my table who I laid my life down for to make this available to them. And this is how he tells us to do it. He says, um, I want you to compel them. In Luke 14, 23, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. And that word compel means don't just say, hey, you know what? And God loves you and, and he has a great plan for you. Or don't just say, hey, you know, you should come to my church on Easter. The guy that speaks, he's kind of funny. <laughs> kind of has a haircut like Tintin if you're into <laughs> European cartoons. <laughs> yeah, you check it out sometime, you know. That's not compelling someone. <laughs> Compel means to be forceful and persuasive. It's not like, hey, turn or burn, sinner. But what it means is like, God has such good plans and such a good purpose for you. Come into the house because there's a God who loves you and he wants you to be his son, his daughter. He wants you to be his honored guest. Would you just come in? Would you just taste and see what it is that's been prepared for you? That's compelling someone to come. And why is it that God calls us to compel people to come into this house? Because it says this. This is what he says. He says that his heart is for his house to be filled. That's what God wants. He says, I can't stand that my house isn't filled. I can't stand that there are empty spots at my table. I'm sending you out to absolutely everybody to compel them to come in. Because my house must be filled. And why is that? I remember one time Anna was, you know, like people look at Pinterest and they see a meal on there that looks really easy to make. And then you actually try to make it and yours looks absolutely nothing like that. You have the Picasso version of whatever you saw on Pinterest. And it takes way more time and way more labor. This one time she saw these kind of like individually wrapped lasagna things. So you, like, you bake the noodles and then you roll them out, put all the stuff on them and hand roll them up. It took, I mean, lasagna takes a long time. This took even longer. And it was such a pain and it almost destroyed our marriage trying to work together on doing this. <laughs> and <laughs> a lot of spouses are looking at each other right now. <laughs> um, but like we got it and we had these people come over. It's like we got to get this done because people are coming and we're way behind time on this. But like crank up the oven, cover it in foil, whatever we got to do. But people are coming so we've got to get this done. We dropped all this money on doing it and we're going to have thousands of dollars in therapy we're going to have to pay for. So like we're getting this done. 
And so we're working to do this in about 15 minutes before uh, the dinner is supposed to happen. The texts start rolling in like, hey, can't make it. <laughs> start twitching a little bit. Okay, we're down two people. Hey, can't make it. What? Can't make it. And it gets down to, there's one person coming of the original eight people that we prepared for. And you know what I thought? I have put way too much time and way too much effort, way too much money into this to just let this go to waste. So I started calling people up. I'm like, hey, I got a meal ready. Uh, people canceled out on me. Won't you come? And people are like, no, I got plans. That's all right. That's cool. Come on. I'll call the next person. Hey, can you come up? No, call the next person. I ended up getting people there. Because I had prepared this meal, it was at a great price to me, emotionally and financially, and someone was going to enjoy this meal. <laughs> and what happened was beautiful. I got people, some that I knew pretty well, and a lot of people that I really did not know well. It was the first time having them over. And let me tell you, it got messy at that table. Because you had people that like loved guns and people that hated guns, the people that were as conservative as possible, people as liberal as possible, talking about sexual purity, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Like, people from very different backgrounds, economically, socially, racially, spiritually, and they all came together, but you know what? The meal was good. And community was formed. I was able to say, you know what, guys? And I had to interrupt a couple times. Guys, it doesn't matter what any of you think about anything. Let's just focus on the lasagna. <laughs> and it became a beautiful picture of what the kingdom's all about. Because yeah. every one of us that's invited to that table, we come in lame, we come in broken, we come in hurt. We come in messed up. And we bring in conflict that we're going to have with other people. But you know what isn't wrong? What there is no problem with is what God prepared for us. And the price that God paid is so great. His blood spilled on the cross. Jesus, the one who never sinned, taking on the sin of the world and encountering separation from his Father. Getting to the point where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He paid such a high price that he's not willing for this meal to go to waste. His house must be filled. So who are we going to invite to his house? I think there's two ways that we do that. Is one is we go out there and we're evangelist. By the way that we live our life, by the words that we speak to other people, looking for those divine opportunities to speak life and to lead people into the kingdom. That's one way that we do it and we have to do it continually saying come into the house, come into the kingdom. There's another way that it happens too. I think it's just as important. Easter is next week. 80% of people that get an invitation to come to church on Easter will take you up on it. Because this is what we do. Let's face it. We're, you know, we have a Christian culture kind of in our, in our country. And people you know, like, hey, I go to church twice a year. It's going to be on Christmas and Easter. But this is an opportunity that you have to invite someone to come into the house and say, taste and see the goodness of God. Yeah. We're servants. That's our job. 
And we've even created two services next week at 9 and at 10.15 because we believe that people are going to invite and that people are going to come into this house and that it's going to be full because the meal's been prepared. The meal is good. The meal was costly. And our master says, my house must be filled, so go out there and invite people to come in. These are the two types of people that we invite is the people that are in the city. Who are the people that are close to you? The friends and the family. I love, like John Lovejoy, he's here this week. Like everybody from his workplace has come to Radiant Church. Because he just said, these are my friends. And even if I invite them and they say no, they're not going to be offended. Like, we can't be friends anymore because you invited me to go to your church on Easter. <laughs> That's not going to happen. I've been inviting people from a coffee shop I go to for four years to come to Radiant Church. None of them have ever come yet. No, wait, one did. One came once. Didn't like it. So, <laughs> but that's okay. But I'm going to keep trying. It hasn't affected our relationship at all. We're still friends. We still enjoy seeing each other and talking to each other, and I'll keep inviting them. And maybe one day God's going to do something inside of them. But that's not my job. I don't change their life. I don't make them come in. I just do the best job I can to compel them to come in to the table that's been prepared for them. Amen. Who are the friends? Who are the family members, the colleagues that you're around that you can extend that invitation to come? to the table next Easter. And then there's the people that are out in the country, people behind the hedges. Yeah. It was so funny. I went to the dentist this week, and it's not funny. I had to get a root canal, so I guess it's not that funny. <laughs> but the guy asked me, the dentist, he's like, so uh, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I hate that question because it really shuts down conversations for me a lot of times. <laughs> and you can tell them, like, they're thinking, what did I say already? Did I swear? You know, like, what happened? <laughs> they're trying to evaluate the conversation they've had with me. He's like, oh, you're a pastor. like, what church? I'm like, I'm at Radiant Church. Where's that? Oh, we meet in a movie theater on Carpenter Road, the rave. And he's like, I was like, you should come sometime. And he's like, yeah, you know what? There's a girl here that goes to that church. There was someone that was getting a filling done, and they invited her to come to church, and she went, and she said it was really great. That's someone in the hedges. When someone's got a drill in your mouth, hey, aren't you coming to Radiant Church? <laughs> but it worked. They came. Like God used a cavity to bring someone into the house. Sometimes you throw up a Hail Mary. <laughs> we'll see if my dentist comes. It might get awkward because I have to go back for the root canal and depending <laughs> on if you liked it or not, be a little more forceful with that drill. But think about it. Who are the people, who are the people that God has sent you out to? Who's that friend? Who's that family member? Who's that, co that colleague that you can invite in, that you can compel to come into the house? And who's that person that maybe you don't know that well? Maybe if you're a single mom and, and you know another single mother that's going through a hard time and you don't have that good of a relationship with her maybe even, but you know that she's in a place of where she could really benefit from coming into the house Amen. and feasting on what God's prepared for her. Maybe if you're a student, who's that person that always sits by themselves and nobody ever pays any attention to? Maybe you've haven't been flossing properly like me and you have to go to the dentist who's that person that you can invite because this is what I know the meal is good there's nothing wrong with this meal it costs God greatly to prepare it for us yeah. and his house must be filled so if we're going to be the servants that we've been called to be, if we're going to be faithful, what is it God's called us to do? We don't have to worry about changing someone's life. We don't have to know, okay, this person is dealing with this thing right now, so here's what they're going to have to do to get straight and do this and this. No, you don't have to worry about that. 
God's the one that's going to change them. You just have to extend that invitation. Just like someone did to you. And just like what happened with you, it wasn't that someone made this, com- this incredible argument that made you say, oh, guess there must be a God, and I guess he must love me. It's that you came in, you tasted, and you saw that God is good. And because of that, you said, God, from this point forward, I'm going to follow you. And God put the Holy Spirit inside of you. He forgave you of all your sins. He gave you the righteousness of Christ. He called you son. He called you daughter. And he began to change and to transform you. And where you are now is different than who you used to be. And when you look back 10 years from now, you're going to see how much God's done in you still. And he's continuing to refine you and to shape you and to make you into his image. And it'll bring glory to God and you'll be able to rejoice in it. And God's going to do the same thing in the lives of the people that you invite. Did you guys stand with me this morning? take a minute together this morning because I believe with everything inside of me that God speaks to us. Jesus said it. He said, my sheep hear my voice. If we're in the family, we have the ability to hear God. So this morning, let's just take a moment. Let's ask God to, to do something with what we've been talking about this morning. Father, we thank you that your words are powerful, that your lives, or that your words change lives. And Father, as we come before you this morning, we ask now that you would speak to our hearts. Now, what is it that you want us to do? We're your servants and we're listening. God, I pray for names and faces. God, would you speak to us now? Give us that name. Give us that face of the person that you've been moving on in their life, that person that has a divine appointment with you this Easter Sunday. The person that we can invite to come into your house. Put that face in our mind. Put that name in our mind. Jesus, the people that are spiritually blind, they don't know, they don't see their need for you. The people who are spiritually crippled, they aren't even able to come to you on their own. They need someone to pick them up and to carry them and to bring them, to bear their burden for them. Jesus, names and faces on every single one of our hearts. God, we ask that you would move on them now. That even in this moment, Jesus, that you would be softening their hearts, that you would be exposing the lies that they've been believing. Holy Spirit, continue to work on them, to change them, God, to stir up something inside of them that would make them want to come. And Jesus, we pray that next Sunday, as we gather to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, Jesus, that you would come in power to change us, God, that you would come in power to change all those who are far from you, that we would be overwhelmed by your goodness, that we would be overwhelmed by the spot that you've prepared for us, that your table, Jesus. God, that salvation would be in your wings and that you would begin to transform and to change our city, God. That you would transform and change our workplaces and our families, our households, God. We pray, Lord, for all of those that you're putting on our hearts right now. Jesus, do the things inside of them that only you can do. And God, fill us with faith and with boldness, God, that we can compel them and we can invite them to come in. Jesus, let it be a new day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And one more thing, actually, too. I'm, just, I'm sensing this as well. 
maybe this morning you're not the servant. Maybe you're the guest this morning. And God's drawn you in and you haven't made that decision to become family yet, but you've tasted and you've seen God's goodness. And you're saying, I, wanna, I want in on this. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. I want to be a servant in your household. And this is what that means. It means all you have to do is say, God, I believe that you are the Lord. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, forgive me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Put your new life inside of me. From this day forward, I'm following you with everything that I am. I'm leaving the old life behind and I'm stepping fully into the new life that you've called me to. Jesus, uh, move on my heart to make me like you. God, connect me with other Christians, God, that can encourage me. Jesus, lead me into the fullness of all that you have for me because I'm a willing servant. If that's you this morning, you prayed that God has started something new inside of you. It's the beginning of a new journey. And after, we're going to sing this last song. After that's done, I encourage you, I'm going to invite the prayer partners to come up and let us pray with you. Let us connect with you. Let us encourage you because you just made the best decision that you could ever possibly make. Father, thank you. Thank you.